Hello, my name's Ella Cohen and you're listening to The Bubble. Although this series of podcasts refers to Christmas, I thought for day three it would be interesting to discuss festivals celebrated by other religions that don't often get the spotlight during this time of year. That's why I'm going to talk to Rabbi Nathan Godelman from the South London Liberal Synagogue to talk about Hanukkah, the Jewish Festival of Light, and to also take the opportunity to approach some broader issues that impact Jewish people at the moment in the UK. Morning, Nathan. Morning. Nice <laughs> to meet you. Um, could you please, just to start off, explain to the audience a bit about Hanukkah for those who might be a, um, a bit unaware and also why it's celebrated by Jewish people? Uh, I'll try my best. Uh, Thank you. Hanukkah is a Jewish festival rooted in history and it's to do with events that happened in the second century before the Common Era when Jews were living under Greek Syrian rule under the Emperor Antiochus, mm. who wanted to impose Greek religion and culture upon them. And uh, they resisted, led by a family called the Maccabees. And uh, there was a war between the two groups. And eventually the Jews won and then had to rededicate their temple to God because it had been used for pagan worship. And at that time, a festival was instituted which lasted eight days. And later on, it became associated with a story involving oil for lamps in the temple, uh, which miraculously lasted for eight days. Mm. And therefore, we light a candle uh, rather than oil lamps these days. And there's one extra candle lit each night. So by the end of the festival, there are eight lit plus the one that was used to light the other ones. So there are nine burning uh, that ninth candle, or it's actually the first candle in a way, it is uh, the servant candle, the shamash in Hebrew. And uh, that, that's the history, really. And I could tell you a little bit more about what we do. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Uh, well, we eat food uh, cooked in oil, uh, principally donuts and, and lakas. And uh, we give presents and we give cards. And it does look a little bit like Christmas. And as it happens <laughs> this year, Hanukkah and Christmas coincide. But it's not like Christmas in terms of why we're celebrating it. For us, it's a festival of religious freedom and the victory of light over darkness. And one of the things we do is to take the, uh, the Hanukkah, which is the, the candelabra, often known as a menorah, and put it in the window so that people walking by our houses and flats can see, uh, can see the light shining out. You know what you were saying, actually, about Christmas and Hanukkah being quite close together in the calendar. Do you think that... I mean, especially for children, Jewish children, do you think that, that they actually get a bit confused between Christian and Jewish festivals, actually? Uh, they might do. I think it's nice for Jewish children to have something of their own to be celebrating, but many of us are living in a country which is predominantly Christian and, and many of us coming from homes where there's Christianity and Judaism, we, we end up combining the two. And I, I think people... I think they do more than muddle through. They 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 understand the difference certainly once you get to a certain age, and mm. uh, I think it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, where do you see the closest parallels between Judaism and other religions? Well, there are there are parallels and there are differences. So thinking about parallels, we we have a place of worship, a synagogue. Christians have a church. Muslims have a mosque and so on, but the home is important. Maybe it's a bit more important to us than Christians. I'm not quite sure about that. The, the family is certainly central. Mm. There are rites of passage across the faiths to do with birth and 
coming of age and marriage and death and so on. We celebrate festivals. We have our religious observances and we use religious items and wear religious clothing. There are special foods we eat. Uh, our prayerfulness goes across most, if not all, of the religions. Mm. And uh, alongside spirituality and a relationship with God, there's the idea of everyday ethics, how we should behave towards one another. And this central teaching, the love of neighbor, love one's neighbor as oneself, which is found in uh, the, the Jewish Bible and, and repeated in the Christian Bible, can be found in all uh, of the other major religions. So the idea that we should treat others as we would be treated by them. That's interesting because... There are differences, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. You talk a lot about the similarities. What do you think is the most significant difference then? Well, right at the heart of Judaism is the idea that God is one. And uh, in something like a prayer, something like a creed, the Shema, we say... Uh, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Hero Israel, the Eternal One is our God, the Eternal One is One uh, and uh, that's rather different from the the idea of Christianity and the Trinity and so on and it's more like uh, Islam, their belief in the oneness of God uh, we, we're not too bothered in some, in some ways about what people believe, it's much more about what people do And uh, we focus on this life rather than what happens to us after we die. Jews do believe in an afterlife, or Judaism Mm. asserts that there is an afterlife, but we should focus on this life and do what we can to enjoy this life and to make this world a better place. Uh, And also that it's not necessary to be Jewish in order to lead a good life. Uh, You can convert to Judaism, but it's, it's not necessary if it's meaningful for you if it's going to help you lead a good life if it's going to enrich your life great but uh, one can can lead such a life without being jewish and in some religions it is required to become part of that religion in order to uh, uh to access uh life in all its fullness shall we say yeah so it's almost like kind of verging on buddhist in a way it's, it's a way of life rather than a with all the beliefs as well what do you say i think so orthodox judaism certainly traditional judaism certainly lays out what we should be doing at each point of the day at each point of our lives Mm. uh and it's not about what we should be thinking what we should be thinking theologically it's about what we should be doing yeah so recently you became a fully fledged rabbi i remember at the synagogue um during this process, did you have any doubts? And when did you actually know that you wanted to become a rabbi? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and I do get asked from time to time. It's a very difficult question to answer quickly. Uh, yeah. So I'm thinking that this question would come up. I've made a few notes for myself, which <laughs> is always a good idea. Uh, I think it was a seed planted a long time ago. I had a career as a teacher. And uh, I was a humanities teacher in a secondary school in London, northwest London. Mm. And uh, I was a history teacher, but also in charge of religious education and was quite used to going into colleagues' lessons and supporting them in their teaching of Judaism with a box of Jewish things and so on, ready to answer any questions that might come up. Mm. Uh, And I was also responsible for Holocaust education in the school too as a history teacher. Uh, But over time, I became more and more interested in the pastoral side. I had 
two forms which I saw through the school and I very much enjoyed and appreciated the opportunity to get to know the, the students and their families and to help them along. Uh, alongside that, I joined a synagogue and found that the rabbi was soon away on sabbatical and they recognised mm-hmm. in me someone that might want to get involved and, and do things and I found myself leading services and quite enjoying it. Uh, and after 10 years of teaching, I took a sabbatical and I was going to do a master's in Hebrew and Jewish studies mm. at a college called the Leo Beck College, which trains rabbis principally. And they weren't running the master's anymore. And they said, well, uh, have you ever thought about being a rabbi? And mm. uh, I had. So uh, I shadowed two rabbis and saw what they did, really appreciated what they were doing. And I could see myself doing doing that, that work. Uh, attended an open day, put in an application to, to make a long story a little shorter. And uh, mm. after three days of interviews, including with a psychologist, uh, I was offered a place and I resigned from school. Mm-hmm. And really, I haven't had any major doubts at any point about whether I was doing the right thing. And I've had a sense of moving in the right direction. And I suppose that can be described as a sense of vocation. And... Uh, I, I had some serious thoughts before ordination, like with priests, although rabbis are, rabbis are quite different to priests in, in one sense, because a, a community doesn't need a rabbi mm. if it has members that can do all the things that a rabbi does, yeah. uh, unlike in a church where you do need a priest for, uh, for the sacraments and so on. Uh, but we are ordained. And it's a five-year training, and there's a there's a kind of laying on of hands. It doesn't necessarily happen, but it's an ordination moment. And I think you have to give serious thought to, to what you're doing, what you're embarked upon before ordination. And I did, and uh, but I wouldn't say they were massive doubts, really. It's always seemed to be where I was meant to be at this point in my life. So I appreciate I'm grateful for that. No, that's really nice. I... Um... <clears throat> Moving on, really, to other people as well. What, when you when you do meet people and you tell them they're a, a rabbi, kind of, what questions do you get most often, and the ones that shock you as well? Uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite funny when you have to uh, declare what you do, and uh, on occasions through my training, it was easier to say I'm a teacher because I, I was a teacher still, and a rabbi is mm. a kind of teacher for sure. Yeah. Because you know that you are possibly going to be into a conversation you don't necessarily want to have at that moment. But I've got something I'm still getting used to. I was ordained about. I was ordained in July 2018 at the beginning of July. Mm. Uh, so I've, I've had I've had some time, and I was also training for five years and having to say I was a student rabbi. If I chose to say that, mm. uh, but people do make assumptions. So I have people who will apologise for swearing mm. as soon as they say a swear <laughs> word, as if. I've never heard a swear word before or, or even uh, uttered a swear word. Uh, rabbis are doing something a bit different or maybe very different and, and we are religious figures but we're also very human and uh, swearing doesn't bother me as I assure them. <laughs> yeah. well, they may assume that I'm particularly holy or particularly religious. Yeah. I don't know whether I'm holy at all and, and I, I suppose I'm religious in a sense I have to say I am religious, but uh, mm. I find that word a little difficult. Uh, they might assume that I'm a very serious person, uh, although I don't have a sense of humour. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, you know people in the community might not think I'm very funny but I think they'd have to say I'm <laughs> I have a sense of humour. Yeah, it exists. And I don't like to be too serious, but we we did serious things. So when when yeah. will you meet your rabbi at the service, giving a sermon at a funeral, and so on? Uh, so I think it's an, it's natural that people think these things. But if you know if you know a rabbi to any degree, I think you'll see that they're they're very human. Mm. Sometimes people think the rabbis are celibate, like priests in the Catholic Church. Yeah, but no rabbis. Mm. marry or or are in relationships and, and are not uh, uh they're not supposed to to be celibate really yeah <laughs> and uh, uh i mean when people yeah, some... when when people see because i'm just saying for listeners that obviously haven't haven't met you but um when you when you meet nathan um you're just wearing normal clothes you know you, you don't unless you're in the synagogue and wearing your talit and your kippah you don't would, you wouldn't really say if you if I if I passed you on the streets you wouldn't know necessarily you're a rabbi so do people ever get kind of disappointed because you're not wearing kind of like traditional Jewish clothes and stuff like that uh I don't know whether they're disappointed but it but it, it would be helpful sometimes if there was something that rabbis wore that marked them out and and interestingly if we went back in time to say before the second world war ministers in in synagogues uh, there weren't necessarily always good rabbis then. Yeah. Did wear a clerical collar, and you can see you can see photographs of mm. syneg- of synagogue. Uh, uh, sorry, of rabbis in the United Synagogue, which is uh, part of Orthodox Judaism, appearing like priests, and having having uh, at a certain point they stopped doing so. Mm. Uh, having something which marks you out uh, would be. Uh, would have its advantages and disadvantages. When I go on a pastoral visit, if I go to see someone in a hospital, for example, I always do put on a kippah. Mm. It doesn't necessarily say rabbi, it may only say Jew, but uh, it's it's part of my uniform, if you like, uh, mm. because there isn't much else. In in the synagogue itself, when I'm up on the bimah, which is the stage from which the service is led, I do wear a talit, a prayer shawl, but again, anyone in the congregation could be wearing a prayer shawl. Uh, sometimes I wear a gown, and rabbis used to wear gowns all the time, mm. like an ac- like an academic gown or a legal gown, mm. black for most of the year and white during the high holy days. Uh, but that that's done less and less. I actually quite like to do that because mm. it it feels right somehow. Although I think I'm a little bit old fashioned. Mm-hmm. So exactly. Disappointed? I'm not sure. As I say, it would it would be helpful sometimes to. Uh, to go into a place and for people to know straight away who you were. Mm. Sometimes it can be a problem, right? which we can talk about in a bit <laughs> if you'd like to. Yeah, I was just going to say, actually, is do you ever meet people and you have kind of negative experiences when they find out you're a rabbi? Have you ever personally experienced anti-Semitism? Uh, I had to think about this question because, you know, anti-Semitism is, is, is in the news and uh, yeah. it's in the news... To, the, to an extent that we haven't seen for a long time. And I thought, have I? Not really. And then I thought about it a little bit, and I, I think I have, uh, but it's been fairly low level. So I've, I've never been attacked physically, or or uh, I wouldn't say I've been attacked verbally either. I've, people have said some funny old things, yeah. uh, not funny ha-ha, mm. and uh, they can take you by surprise. Uh, just a, f- a few examples, perhaps. Uh, someone assuming I was rich because I was a rabbi, 
And, yeah. uh, and I said, well, what makes you think I'm rich? And uh, he actually realised at that point that he had fallen into uh, an anti-Semitic trope, which equates Jewish people with wealth, which isn't the case. I work with Jewish people who are wealthy. I work with Jewish people who are who are poor. And if you if you went to Israel, uh, which is uh, the only Jewish state, you'll see people uh, on the streets, uh, homeless, and so on and so forth. So it's a uh, it's a stereotype. So uh, uh, that was an awkward moment for me, and, and we we didn't have much of a conversation about it. But he realised what he said. Yeah. Uh, when I when I wear my kippah, like anyone who wears something which marks them out, people make assumptions, and sometimes uh, it can lead to nice moments. So going into hospital, putting a kippah on, going to the desk to ask where a certain ward was, and having the person say, "Oh, hello, shalom." Oh, was yeah. nice and the opposite to what you might expect mm. uh, and it's the same I suppose with having a Jewish name my name sounds Jewish isn't actually a Jewish name doesn't really mark me out mm. uh, some people you know they can't they can't take off what marks them out and uh, and, and I, I have a I have a degree of choice so I can identify or I cannot identify and uh, therefore I'm not experiencing that kind of prejudice too often because I'm not always identifiable as a Jew. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, what what advice would you actually give to someone if they do witness anti-Semitism in more extreme cases as well? Well, it it depends what 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 the case involves, I suppose. Uh, I think you should tell generally, and you might not in a you might not be in a position to confront the anti-Semitism because it could put you in danger. It really mm. depends what's going on. But if, if you are, if things are said to you, which you, which you know to be wrong, mm. then just with uh, any kind of bullying, the thing to do is to, to tell and to uh, do your best to uh, have that person held to account, I think. And I think we need, we need, when we can, we need to challenge these things, but we also need to take care of ourselves. And there's a, there's a, a film going on. Uh, there's there's a film on the, the internet at the moment, a video clip taken from someone's phone, actually, where mm. whereby a, a father and his two children were uh, confronted with some anti-Semitism on a London tube train, and uh, it would have been dangerous for them to have confronted that person. Uh, some other people on the train, including a Muslim woman wearing a hijab, mm. did, but they were they were taking a chance. But you you have to kind of feel your way through the situation, but telling someone uh removing yourself sometimes as quickly as you can it really depends on the circumstances but it is not something that we should have to tolerate no no i agree well uh, i've had i've had some people you know i've had one or two uh funny things again funny strange or unexpected mm. uh said so i remember teaching a class on the holocaust and having all kinds of images up on the screen and someone uh, from my chief's group actually saying never happened and that really took me by surprise and I had to stop and uh, and ask him what he meant and he he's, he retracted uh, and I think he was surprised at himself and I think it's something he picked up at home looking yeah. into it a little bit further but uh, certainly in, in that situation I needed to say what do you mean uh, and let's let's talk about that because that that was really uh blatant holocaust denial yeah no i um 
I have to say, let's changing the subject a bit, and just to conclude, really, <clears throat> have you? Uh, do you have any good Jewish jokes? Any any jokes to have? They're like one of the best that you've heard to share. Oh, uh, oh, that's a really good. That's <laughs> a good question. I, I, nothing comes to mind. Uh, Non-Jewish jokes, because uh, <laughs> at the synagogue we have we have a chair who's who's quite funny, and I suppose we're in competition in a way over over our jokes. And sometimes he he laughs at my funny ones, and sometimes he he'd rather have made the funny himself. <laughs> and sometimes he's quite funny. But uh, I don't think either of our uh, senses of humour are about jokes necessarily. There are there are rabbis, probably not so many these days, who have set piece jokes. Uh, but I, I kind of like to my my humour what it is. It's probably more observational. There was <laughs> there is one that comes to mind from a from a sermon I gave yesterday, yeah. and. Uh, in some synagogues and in our synagogue sometimes the Torah scroll is is taken out of the ark and processed so it's it's uh, processed around the synagogue and then back to the ark and yesterday uh, taking a service at a reform synagogue a slightly more traditional synagogue well quite to be a more traditional synagogue than ours mm. it was processed before the the Torah reading and processed after the Torah reading and I gave a sermon about Torah processions in liberal synagogues mm. and some people like to like to uh take the corners of their tallit, their prayer shawl, and touch them to the Torah scroll and then kiss the kiss the corners like the, the strands that come from the corners of the tallit of the prayer shawl. Yeah. And one one rabbi didn't really like to do that and he said he was on speaking terms with the Torah yeah. but not on kissing terms. <laughs> uh, and that's probably the best I can do off the top of my head, Hella, I'm afraid. No, that's not bad. Uh, that's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. There are... There are they're a funnier one. But anyway, thank you so much, Nathan, for your time. And um... No, you're very welcome. As, as this year, Hanukkah and Christmas coincide exactly, mm. which is going to make for a very jolly festive season for many of us, mm. uh, maybe we should finish by wishing each other happy Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah uh, yeah. and season's greetings. And uh, happy Hanukkah, or Hanukkah, is uh, Hanukkah Sameach, which means Hanukkah, happy. And we put it in that order. So, Hanukkah Sameach. Hanukkah Sameach, Nathan, thank you. Thank you for listening, everybody. I hope that you now feel a bit more informed on how Jewish people celebrate um, around the time of Christmas. Thanks for popping by.